Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come again, Lord, as your people. We need to hear from you. We need to hear understanding about the things of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, things that pertain to life and godliness and righteousness and forgiveness of sins, holiness, spiritual things. For we hear from the scriptures that we have been blessed with Christ, we've been seated with him in the heavenly places, and we've been blessed with every spiritual gift that is in Christ Jesus. And Lord, now we pray that you cause us to hear spiritual things as spiritual people, not as fleshly people. May you give us understanding of your scriptures, give us understanding of the work of Christ, that we may see him glorified, we may see him glorious, that we may see our hope in him and an imperishable hope in him that cannot be taken away from us and that cannot be made better by anything that we ourselves can do and will ever do. So Lord, now we pray for your Holy Spirit to open the scriptures to our minds that we may see what says the Lord. We pray and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. John 8, John 8, 30 to 39. We are actually going to read John 8, 30 to 39, but most of our teaching is going to be from Luke 15. We are going to revisit the parable of the prodigal son because they are related in the theology. There are some sections that we need to connect together to bring better clarity of the teaching from the prodigal son. So John 8, 30 to 39 says, As he spoke these words, that's Jesus, many believed in him. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you'll be made free? Jesus answered them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have seen with your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you do the works of Abraham. Our sermon title is going to be Sonship, the Gospel, and Salvation. Sonship, the Gospel, and Salvation. Or the Gospel, the Prodigal Son, Sonship, and salvation. We are always talking about how God saves sinners. And there's a lot of theology or understanding of the different pieces that constitute our salvation 
that we need to know and understand. And this teaching today is a spin-off from the parable of the prodigal son, Sermon BSGCC 21, which we preached last week and we titled The Gospel, Pig Duty, and the Prodigal Son. We are going to tie this last sermon to John chapter 8, where Jesus is talking up and saying to the Jews, if he sets someone free, they are free indeed. But the reason why we are tying this teaching together is because of John, sorry, because of Luke 15 verse 31, where we had the father's dealing with the older son. The father's dealing with the older son in the parable of the prodigal son. And whether the statement that the father made to the older son should be understood to mean that the older son was in any way saved. This is what the father said to the older son when he had objected to the father's gracious treatment of the prodigals, the younger son. This is Luke 15 verse 31. The father said to him, Son, you are always with me and all that I have is yours. You are always with me and all that I have is yours. So we are going to be working a lot of background, theological background on salvation. We have a lot of things to share and be praying for me that I'll be able to make it to the end. But it's very important teaching And I was actually praising the Lord for the conversation that happened later on after service last week because it was because of that conversation that I ended up getting this sermon. Otherwise, we're not even going back to Luke 15. We're just going to go straight back to John chapter 8. But it has actually opened up some very, very important understanding that will give us a good handle of what Jesus may have been teaching us from the parable of Luke. So to adequately answer the question whether the older son was saved or not, we are going to need to do some background work to understand how God saves sinners because with that understanding, we will make wrong conclusions of what the father was saying in verse 31 and actually we may end up opening the possibility that one can be saved by works because the older son was claiming to have obeyed all the commandments that the father had given him. And so this is where we start. All people are children of God. All people are children of God in the sense that God created and sustains them by his power. There's no one who comes to existence by their own power. The devil does not create anybody. Angels do not create anybody. It's only God alone who creates people, who creates things. But not all people are sons of God spiritually. God's true sons, according to Jesus, are those who worship him in spirit and in truth. According to Jesus in John 4, Verse 24, those who do not know the truth of God and who do not have the spirit of God cannot worship God 
because God is truth and he is spirit. In John 8, Jesus is going to tell the Jews of their real paternity and say, you are of your father, the devil. And that speaks to their spiritual paternity and not to their physical paternity. God does not have grandkids. He does not have any nieces or nephews or aunts or uncles. He only has sons or children. That's the language of the Bible. And the scriptures have given us understanding of how one gets the title of being a son or child of God. In John's language, sonship uniquely belongs to Jesus. Sonship, according to John, the Apostle John, that is a title that uniquely belongs to Jesus Christ. And everyone else is born again into being a child of God. So John would say in John 1 verses 12 and 13, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So the new birth is what makes one a child of God. And without it, Jesus said, they can't see the kingdom, which means they can't have the title of the child of God or a child of God. And Apostle Paul has the same understanding when it comes to sonship. Apostle Paul's equivalent of being children of God is sons of God. But in the language and understanding and theology of Apostle Paul, we do not become sons of God naturally, but we are sons of God by adoption through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And we are going to work some more understanding of this letter because it's critical for us to have a proper evaluation of the story of the prodigal son. So we need to know how one becomes a true son of God and what it means to be a son or child of God in a spiritual sense. Jesus Christ is the son of God by nature. He is the only son of God by nature because he is God the son. He is the Trinitarian son of God, but all other sons of God are so by election and by redemption. So sonship with respect to salvation, whether of holy angels or men, stems from election. Very important. Sonship with respect to salvation, whether of holy angels or men, stems from election. It stems from God's decree of predestination and election in which God chose a certain people in Christ before the foundation of the world and gave them to Christ. That is the first qualification of sonship. Election is the first qualification of sonship. It is election in Christ that brings one into the fold of those who carry the title 
of sonship or children of God in a salvific sense, in a salvation sense. One is not a son or child of God just because they exist. Election is the first step to establishing one's sonship and it is election not by merit but election according to grace. Our sonship is according to grace. Our being children of God is according to grace. And if one claims to have sonship with God the Father outside the election of grace, then they are not talking about the God of the Bible. So you see there's election, and that election is according to grace. It's not election according to merit. And the next step in this sonship is redemption. Election initiates our sonship, but redemption accomplishes and seals it. Sonship is redemptive, which means it requires the payment of a ransom price, a redemptive price for one to assume the legal rights of spiritual sonship, the rights of inheritance. Without the redemptive price being paid by Jesus, there is no sonship and there is no salvation. Holy angels are called sons of God because of election. They are holy angels, which means they are elect angels. They were chosen by grace. But because they never sinned, they don't need redemption to complete their sonship. And so election is enough for them to seal their sonship. However, for human beings, election is not enough because we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so our sonship to God has to be through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Our sonship has to be through election and the redemption that was paid in and by the blood of Christ. And if these pieces are missing, there is no true sonship, which means there's no salvation, no matter whatever happens in the story, no matter whatever happens or whatever is said. And this teaching is there in Ephesians chapter 1. We were in Ephesians a few weeks ago, these particular verses, but we are going to be looking at them differently in the context of sonship. Ephesians 1 verses 3 to 8 say, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. God the Father has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You see, the location of where the spiritual blessings are, they are in the heavenly places. Verse 4, just as he chose us in him, that is in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that is election to sonship, 
is God who chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, before anything was created, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. So those are the benefits of our sonship, that we should be holy and without blame. Verse 5, having predestined us, that is a decree to sonship, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself. You see, that's adoptive sonship. That's not natural sonship. Predestined to adoption as sons by Christ Jesus to himself according to the good pleasure of his will, which means the driving force. The motivation was not found in the ones who were being made sons, but it was found in himself. Verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood. In him we have redemption through his blood. That is how we acquired our sonship. Redemptively by his blood. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. And he predestined us to adoption as sons. But guess what? We acquired our sonship by the blood of Christ. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. So what do we say? All spiritual blessings of acquired sonship or adoptive sonship are in Christ. They are all in Christ and are given to those who are in Christ, who were chosen by the Father and put in Christ and Look at the nature of the blessings. They are spiritual blessings and the location of the blessings. They are heavenly blessings. So the heavenly places. Our sonship is from election. And the benefit of that sonship to us is so that we should be holy and without blame. And we were adopted as sons by God's decree of predestination. Adopted as sons by God's decree of predestination. But John would also say the equivalent of that understanding to John the Apostle would be John 1 verse 12 to 13, which I think we have already read already, but we're going to read it again. And he says, but as many as received him to them, he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So he is saying the motivation of you and I receiving Christ is not because of us. It's not because of anything that is found in us. How does one get born again? They are born again from above, from the cross, by the blood of God, By the will of God. That is God's formula of giving sonship that leads to salvation. Election. Redemption. And then adoption. Election. 
redemption, and then adoption. That's the formula. Then afterwards, you can go and request a name change on your birth certificate (laughs) and use the title of adopted sons. Now that we know that, sonship is election, is redemption through the blood of Christ, and then adoption. That is how one gets saved. Let's go to the scriptures. Let's go to the Old Testament to see if God has not been teaching this doctrine right from the beginning. Let's go to Exodus 13, verses 11 to 16. Exodus 13, verses 11 to 16. The law of the firstborn, the law of sonship. Exodus 13, verse 11 to 16 reads and says, And it shall be, when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers and gives it to you, that you shall set apart to the Lord all that open the womb, that is, every firstborn that comes from an animal which you have, the males shall be the Lord's. But every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. And if you will not redeem it, then you shall break its neck. And all the firstborn of men among your sons you shall redeem. So it shall be when your son asks you in time to come, saying, What is this that you shall say to him? By strength of hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And it came to pass. When Pharaoh was stubborn about letting us go, that the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of beast. Therefore I sacrifice to the Lord all males that open the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be as a sign on your hand and as frontlets between your eyes, for by strength of hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. Also, let's read Exodus 34, verses 19 and 20. Exodus 34, 19 and 20. And it says, All that open the womb are mine, and every male firstborn among your livestock, whether ox or sheep. But the firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. And if you will not redeem him, then you shall break his neck. All the firstborn of your sons you shall redeem. Let us look at that again. Going back to Exodus 13, verses 12. The Lord said to Moses, Set apart, tell the children of Israel to set apart to the Lord all that open the womb, that is, every firstborn that comes from an animal which you have, the males shall be the Lord's. And all the firstborn of men among your sons you shall redeem. So this is what God was saying. He was saying the firstborn from man and from all the animals that were found in Israel, domesticated, were to be the Lord's because he said so. (laughs) Because he said so. But listen to God's argument. Listen to his reason. Why this was to be so. This is a decree. And it had to be adhered to. But this is the reason why God says 
they belong to me. Listen to verse 14 and going and following. So it shall be when your son asks you in time to come saying, what is this that you shall say to him by strength of hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And it came to pass when Pharaoh was stubborn about letting us go, that the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of beast. Therefore I sacrifice to the Lord all males that open the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. The reason that God said that the firstborn are his is because he spared them from death. He spared them from death when he judged Egypt and killed all their firstborn of both man and beast. But the firstborn of Israel were redeemed. But how were they redeemed? By the blood of the Passover lamb. And so they became his sons not by birth but by election and redemption. The firstborn of Egypt were not worse sinners than those of Israel. What was the difference? What was the difference between the firstborns of Israel and the firstborns that were born to Egypt? But you see, God only killed the firstborns that belonged to the Egyptians. What was the difference? The difference was in election and redemption. Israel was under captivity or slavery in Egypt which captivity was a type of our own slavery or captivity to sin. And anyone who is in captivity to sin cannot just up and go and become the son of God. They have to be chosen. They have to be redeemed. And the blood of the sacrifice has to cover them. Someone has to die in their place. Without death, there is no remission of sin, and so it can be said without the death of the sacrifice that God has commanded, there is no sonship. It is the death of a sacrifice that secures and seals sonship. So we are told again in Exodus 13, verse 3, which says, But every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. And if you will not redeem it, then you shall break its neck. What is happening? Why is that every other livestock were redeemed as they were, but a donkey needed a substitute? A donkey could not be used as a sacrifice to the Lord. It needed to be redeemed. It needed a substitute. Why? Because the donkey was considered an unclean animal. It was an unclean animal. And we are going to need to read Leviticus 11. Let's go to Leviticus 11. But this is very important. Leviticus 11. And we are going to be reading from verses 1 to 12. Leviticus 11 verses 1 to 12. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying to them, Speak to the children of Israel saying, these are the animals which you may eat among all the animals that are on the earth. Among the animals, whatever divides the hoof, 
having cloven hooves and chewing the cud that you may eat. Nevertheless, these you shall not eat among those that chew the cud or those that have cloven hooves, the camel, because it chews the cud, but it does not have cloven hooves, is unclean to you. The rock hyrax, because it chews the cud, but does not have cloven hooves, is unclean to you. The hare, because it chews the cud, but does not have cloven hooves, is unclean to you. And the swine, though it divides the hoof, having cloven hooves, yet does not chew the cud, is unclean to you. Their flesh you shall not eat, and their carcasses you shall not touch. They are unclean to you. These you may eat of all that are in the water. Whatever in the water has fins and scales, whether in the seas or in the rivers, that you may eat. But all in the seas or in the rivers that do not have fins and scales, or that move in the water, or any living thing which is in the water, they are an abomination to you. They shall be an abomination to you. You shall not eat their flesh, but you shall regard their carcasses as an abomination. Whatever in the water does not have fins or scales, that shall be an abomination to you. So this is very important. A divided hoof had to be completely split in two. And so the donkey was unfit to belong to the Lord. It was unclean until it was redeemed. How was it redeemed? It was redeemed by a lamb and nothing else. If the donkey had to live, it needed redemption. Why? Because the donkey is stubborn. While donkeys are stubborn, donkeys don't listen to instructions. I don't know if you ever dealt with a donkey. Donkeys are very, very stubborn animals. So what was that saying? Donkeys are a type of the sinner. Human beings also do not have a divided hoof. So by classification, by the classification above, we were under the class of unclean animals. We are the donkeys and could not be set aside to be sons of God unless what happened? Unless a lamb had been given for our redemption. This was not about donkeys. This teaching was not about donkeys. Donkeys don't need redemption. Donkeys don't need the blood of Christ to be saved. So God had to be teaching something beyond the redemption of donkeys. We are the donkeys and could not be set. We could not be set aside to be called the sons of God unless, unless a lamb had been given for our salvation. The lamb that takes away the sin of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ. That is what the picture was that God was painting for us. The donkey only became the son of God just like all the firstborns of all the clean animals only by redemption. Only by redemption. And it was redemption by the sacrifice that God commanded. And without the lamb, God said to break its neck. Without the lamb sacrifice, the donkey or any such unclean animals were under a curse. And were an abomination and were supposed to die. So it is with all men. 
God says, all men are mine. The elect and the non-elect belong to God. And unless one is redeemed by a lamb, God says, break their neck. Unless one is covered by the blood of the sacrifice that God commands, they are not a son of God and God is going to kill them. You understand the connection? God says, this unclean animal, the donkey, is a firstborn. It belongs to me. But unless it has a sacrifice of a lamb, it has to die. It has to die. So the donkey could not be called as one of God's sons unless it had a redeemer. So when we are talking about salvation, it is not about our goodness. It is not about our law keeping. Because we are donkeys. The issue of your salvation is whether you have the sacrifice that that God commanded standing in your place. What mattered for the donkey was, was there a lamb that could be given for its redemption. So in our salvation, what matters is, is Jesus standing in place of the sinner? Is Jesus standing in place of the sinner? That is all that matters about salvation. And that takes us to the discussion again of the parable of the prodigal son and the older son. Many people still wonder at the identity of the older brother and cannot understand what Jesus was teaching in the bigger scope of salvation. They think the older son was a good man like Esau and was saved because of his claim to have kept all the commandments of the father. And the statement by the father in Luke 15, 31 has people confused to think that the father was saying the older son was also saved. And this is what the statement said. I've read it before, but I'm just going to read it again because we're going to talk more about that. Luke 15, verse 31 says, Son, you are always with me and all that I have is yours. The picture of salvation in the prodigal son is very clear to everybody. It's someone who was lost and they've been found and they're welcomed back by the father. That's easy. That is the picture of salvation. And that's what Jesus was teaching. Jesus was saying, this is the only way that salvation happens. The older son is not a picture of how God saves sinners. The Lord was not teaching two ways of salvation. Law keeping and grace. Because in the story, we have law keeping by the older son and grace abounding to the chief of sinners, the younger son. The Lord was only teaching one way of salvation. He was teaching sonship by grace through the blood of a substitute. The fetid calf was the substitute. He was teaching salvation by grace alone as the only way one can be restored back to the Father. He was teaching redemptive sonship. The claims of law-keeping by the older brother do not profit anything with respect to salvation. Why? Because he was fallen and he was lying 
And he was not using the law rightly. The law was not given to give life, but to discover sin. And yet the older son claimed to have obeyed all the commandments of the father. The older son was the self-righteous Pharisee and the self-righteous person who would think they are obeying God. But the Lord Jesus Christ is here teaching about the righteousness of God, which is by the best robes that he covered the prodigal son with. He was teaching about how God actually brings sons to himself. This issue of sonship is not in law keeping. None who are not spiritually natural sons like Jesus can attain to true sonship. Not by law keeping. Because sonship is redemptive. It is by grace alone. It is by election. It cannot be merited. And without a sacrifice, there is no sonship and there is no salvation to talk about. Talking again about the donkey. The donkey, the firstborn donkey, could graze with all the clean animals all it wanted. But it still needed redemption. It still needed someone to redeem it if it had to live. It could be the most beautiful looking donkey that it could be. It could be the most well-behaved donkey that it could be. And even the owner could say it was a well-behaved donkey. But with respect to God, that meant nothing without a lamb sacrifice. All the goodness that could be found in the donkey meant nothing without a lamb sacrifice. And God said, break his neck. That is God's command to all who do not have the sacrifice that God demands. And so the older son from the parable of the prodigal son represented all those who think are good in themselves, such as these scribes and Pharisees who were talking to Jesus and accusing him of mixing and hanging out with the prostitutes and the tax collectors and the sinners. The Pharisees and scribes thought they were righteous and blameless before the law, like Apostle Paul used to think before he was converted. These are the self-righteous Jews who had everything going on for them. They were the physical descendants of Abraham, as they are going to claim later in John 8, even as we read today, in John 8, when they said, we have never been in bondage to anybody. We are Abraham's children. So the Jews, represented here by the Pharisees and the scribes, were the older son. These are the ones who gloried in keeping the law. And so, when the father said to the older son, all that I have is yours, he was talking to temporary things, temporary blessings in the story. The Jews had everything from God. They had the covenants. They had the law. They were the physical descendants of all the patriarchs of Israel. God's people. 
So they had everything, but they lagged one thing that was important to salvation. They lagged the redemption that was in Christ Jesus. Let's go to Romans 9. Romans 9, 1 to 5. Romans 9, 1 to 5. I tell the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises, of whom are the fathers, and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all, the eternally blessed God. Amen. So do you see what the father was saying? He was saying these Jews, these Pharisees and scribes had it all. And this is why they had all. They had all this going on for them. But even Apostle Paul prays in agony and he realizes that that was not enough for their salvation. That was not enough for their salvation. All these blessings were temporary. The true blessings of God are only found in Christ. They are yes and amen in him. And they come by participating and partaking of the sacrifice that the father commanded. You got to hear that. The true blessings of Christ. The reason why the Jews stumbled at Jesus is because they stumbled at the sacrifice that brings true sonship. The older son stumbled at what the father was doing for the young son. The father was giving a sacrifice that gives true sonship. The older son refused to go and be part of the ceremony where true sonship, where the sacrifice that gives true sonship was being given. So by the older son refusing to go where the father was slaughtering the fetid calf, he was rejecting the righteousness that the father had given the prodigal son. And so in rejecting what the father had done, he also was rejecting Christ. He was rejecting Christ. Listen to this, Luke 15 verse 28. But he was angry and would not go in. The older son was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. And in rejecting to enter the older son, also, as I said, was rejecting Christ. He was rejecting the gospel. The older son rejected the blood sacrifice that was needed for his sonship with the father. Because True sonship is only through the redemption that is in the blood of the sacrifice that the Father commands. But listen to this. Israel's rejection and God's purpose in them rejecting the gospel. Apostle Paul explains to us why the older son rejected the gospel. Let's go back to Romans 9. 
verse 6 to 8. Romans 9, verse 6 to 8. But it is not that the word of God has taken no effect. It is not that the word of God has failed. For there are not all Israel who are of Israel. Nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham. But in Isaac your seed shall be called. That is, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. The older son was not elect unto salvation. It does not matter the fact that he was born of the same father. It does not matter the fact that he owed his physical existence to the same father. God is teaching election, just like we have Esau and Jacob, if you still remember. The other son was not elect unto salvation and therefore could not participate in the redemption that brings life and righteousness. Apostle Paul says, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel. That is bringing a distinction. Nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham. So he's saying even though they may trace their physical lineage to the same patriarch, the same father, that is not what guarantees salvation. But in Isaac your seed shall be called. So now that is speaking to election. God is saying only those who are in Isaac shall be called the children of God. Not those who are children of the flesh. So the sonship of the older son is what is called here the children of the flesh. And these who are children of the flesh are not the children of God. So the older son rejected the gospel. The older son rejected the gospel because he was the son of the flesh. He was a child of the flesh. And he he rejected the gospel not because the father had run out of clean clothes. <laughs> the father did not run out of clean clothes. He did not run out of a fetid calf or neither did he run out of rings to give or of shoes. Or did he not find the proper size shoe for his other son? No, the other son rejected the gospel because he was a child of the flesh. And those who are children of the flesh reject the gospel. They are not the children of God. But only the children of promise, only the children of election according to grace are the ones who receive the gospel. So the Pharisees and the scribes had a lot of things going on for them. But they stumbled at the offense of grace. They stumbled at the gospel. They are the ones who were in the fields. If you still remember, when the younger son came back, the older son was in the fields. And that is very purposeful. Why would God tell us that the older son was in the fields working? These are they, the Pharisees and the scribes, the self-righteous ones who are in the fields working and trying to please the father by their own works. And were angry that the father had received and saved or accepted this wayward son, the prodigal son, the sinner, by grace alone. 
So the older son represented the self-righteous ones. Those who thought and claimed to never have transgressed the commandments of God at any time. That's what the claim was from the older son. He said, I stayed with you and I never transgressed any of your commandments. That's a lie. So what is he saying? He is saying, Father, bring me into your favor by my own law keeping. And it doesn't work like that. And even now we have a lot of people who are rejecting the gospel of grace. They are busy working in the fields of humanitarian causes. If you ask them to have a campaign to raise money for this foundation, for this cause and this other cause, they are right there with you. They are right there with you, but they are pursuing righteousness as if it is by the works of the law and not grace. They won't hear the gospel, but if you enlist them for some social cause, they are on it. But hear this from Romans 9 again. Romans 9 verses 30 to 33. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith. Those who did not even put any effort to be righteous are the ones who have attained righteousness. Even the righteousness of faith. So he is saying the only righteousness there is, is the righteousness of faith. Verse 31. But Israel, on the other hand, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Israel, pursuing the righteousness of law obedience, of law keeping, have failed to attain the righteousness that saves. Why? Verse 32. Because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were by the works of the law, for they stumbled at the stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and rock of offense, and whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. So the reason why Israel stumbled at Christ is because of grace. They thought salvation was in law-keeping. Salvation was in their own goodness. And because of that, that is the offense of the gospel. When men stumble at the message of free grace, that is Christ causing them to stumble at the rock of offense. The older son did not seek righteousness with the father by faith. He worked for it. He was working in the fields for it. He claimed that he had kept the law. He pursued it as if it was by works. And what happened to him? He stumbled at the gospel. He stumbled at the gospel. And this is the reason why the older son did not go where the party was. He was so offended by the message of grace that he didn't even want to be part of the celebrations that were happening. He did not want to go where the father was doing the transaction of things that pertain to salvation. Remember, Jesus gave this parable to teach how salvation works. So he refused to go in. He was content with working in the fields. He was content with keeping the commandments. But these do not give salvation. 
even the younger son had purposed to work his own way into the salvation of his father. Remember the speech that he had prepared. He said, I'm going to go back to my father and I'm going to say, well, I've sinned against you and against heaven, but make me as one of her hired servants. He wanted to come back and work his way up into the father's favor. But the father said, no, 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 no. That's not how things work. That's not how you restore yourself to my love. That is not how you get salvation. This is how you get salvation. Luke 15 Verses 22 to 24, the father said to him, he commanded his servants and said, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. This is in contrast to what the son wanted. The son wanted the father to give him a list of things to do. Okay, now you are one of my servants. You do this, you do that, you feed the swine again. You work in the fields and then we have a performance evaluation and we'll see if your sonship can be restored. But the father said, no, 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 no. This is the transaction. Bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fetid calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So what do we see? We see here in the statement of the father, the transaction of sonship, the change of clothes that is required for sonship. Without that, there's no sonship. That is the forgiveness of sins. And what is the basis of that forgiveness of sins is on the basis of the death of the fetid calf because without blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. On the death of the sacrifice, the younger son was forgiven. The fetid calf died at the command of the father. And as our Lord Jesus Christ died, not at the command of man, but of his father. We see the father asking his servants to put a ring on him, which was a picture or a type of a down payment of the Holy Spirit to all those who have the title of sons, which was a type of the sealing of sonship, which things did not happen with the older son. And so the death of Christ, redemption by his blood, is the only way that the younger son entered into sonship, adoptive or acquired sonship. Without the change of clothes, a bestowal, or a giving of the righteousness of Christ and the giving of the Holy Spirit, there was no sonship that leads to life. Remember election and redemption again when you are reading this story. You need election by grace. And you need the blood of the Son of God for you to possess sonship. The older son did not have the blood. He did not have the change of clothes. He did not have the seal of the Holy Spirit as given by the ring. And so he was not saved. For one to be saved, they have to have a change of clothes. They need to have the blood of the fetid calf. They need to have the seal of the Holy Spirit. And the other son did not partake in any of those. But even more importantly, the issue for you and I is not to determine 
who was saved or not, but to know and avail ourselves to how God actually saves sinners because that's the point of the parable. He is teaching us to say, this is how I will ever save anybody. And for us to see which son we are. Are we the son who is working and standing on their own goodness or are we the son who is standing on grace alone? Are we the son that worked hard in the fields and thought kept all the commandments or are we the son that went into the distant country and devoured our righteousness with pigs and harlots with prodigal living? Listen to what the scriptures say about salvation. I believe this is Romans 4. Romans 4. I think it's Romans 4. Verse 1 to 8. The way of salvation. What then shall we say? That Abraham, our father, is found according to the flesh. What advantage did Abraham have in the flesh that caused God to save him? Verse 2. For if Abraham was justified by works, if Abraham was justified by being good, by keeping God's commandments, by working in the fields, he has something to boast about, but not before God. If the older son had something to boast about before the father, then he would have been justified by works. And the younger son would have been justified by grace. So grace and works would be legitimate ways of how God saves sinners. Verse 3. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the one who is working in the fields, the one who is being good in themselves, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. So if you come to God thinking that you are good, then God has to give you righteousness as something that you end as a paycheck. Verse 5, but to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. The one who does not work, the one who does not do anything, the one who only comes to the Father and says, Father, I've sinned. Their faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. The father did not impute sin to the prodigal son. The father did not impute sin to the prodigal son. Why? Because he was not working. He was not working to please the father. He actually did the very opposite. The father imputed righteousness to him apart from works. And that is a scandal. It is a scandal to the older son. That is why he's mad. Why? Because the gospel is a scandal. It sounds unfair, but that is exactly the gospel of grace. And that is exactly and the only way that God saves sinners. So which son are you? Are you the son who grumbles at the father for blessing those who do not work? Those who are freely forgiven? 
Well, you see, there are a lot of people who say, oh, but that's not fair. Oh, God can't choose some people. That's not fair. What about me? Well, the problem is you think you are good. You think you are worthy of something. But God does not save anyone who thinks they have something to give him. If you are one of those who complain and think that the plan of salvation is not fair, you are stumbling at the gospel. You are stumbling at Christ. And Apostle Paul would say again in verse 33 from Romans 9, I think, Romans 9, 33, as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense, and whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. So Christ is a rock. It's like when you are walking in the dark and you have a string, and you're walking and you don't know, and you just trip and fall. And God is saying, Jesus is a stumbling stone and a rock of offense. The gospel offends people because of the way that God has determined to serve his people. But I want to connect this before we just finish off this in a few minutes, to connect this teaching to John 8, because it's all about sonship. As the Jews are claiming, they are saying they never been to bondage. They've never been in bondage to anyone because they are descendants of Abraham. They are saying they don't need salvation because it is war with them. They are already good. They have the covenants. They have the law. Why do they need anybody to set them free? So let's go back to John 8, 31 to 36. We read there and connect it with what we have already had. We already preached from this, so it won't be long. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Jesus answered them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. The Jews think they are sons. They think they are spiritually natural sons of God because of their bloodline. They think they are the good old son who stayed at home, unlike all these Gentiles, all these Canaanites, all these Philistines. So they think they are the older son, the good old son who stayed at home and obeyed all the commandments. They think heaven is given because of Abraham. But physically, they may have had everything that Abraham had but not so spiritually as Jesus is going to show us later. They were the older son who refused to go to the place where the transaction of adoption was being done. They were no different from the donkeys and without a lamb sacrifice, their necks were to be broken. Without the real son of God setting them free, they would die in their slavery to sin Remember what the Old Testament 
teaching-wise that we just read from Exodus 13. The donkey could not be free unless a lamb was given to redeem it. The children of Israel, these Pharisees and the scribes who thought were saved because they were descendants of Israel, of descendants of Israel with Jacob or descendants of Abraham, they are failing to understand the spiritual transaction of salvation that they need someone to redeem them. And without the real son of God setting them free, they would die in their slavery to sin. Slaves to sin have no natural right of inheritance, not to eternal life. Jesus has to set them free. He has to change their legal status before the father and make them sons by the redemption that is in his own blood. The Jews have never been free contrary to their claims. There's none who is free who was born of a woman. There's none who is free who does not have a lamb sacrifice. It is only the lamb sacrifice that sets free. It is only the lamb sacrifice that saved a donkey from having its neck broken. Without a lamb sacrifice, the Jews will remain not as sons of Abraham, but as servants of sin. Children not of God, but of the devil. The son has to set them free by his death, by his sacrifice. That is the only way they could be true sons of Abraham and true sons of God. If God says, if God were to come and say, or I'm going to give you everything, but not the lamb that takes away sin, say no. If God were to come and say, I'm going to give you everything in the universe, say no. (laughs) Give me Christ. Give me the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. Because he who gets the son gets the lamb. He who gets the lamb gets sonship. Sonship is only found by possessing the son, his son, our Lord Jesus Christ. But if the son sets you free, you are free indeed. Your neck cannot be broken. But if you refuse to go where the prodigals are being washed and are being given new clothes, you have no true sonship with the father. If you get offended at the father's way of doing the business of salvation, you have no true sonship with the father. You have stumbled at the rock of offense. You have stumbled at grace. And grace always, as we say, is offensive to the self-righteous. But grace is always good news to the prodigals. Grace is the gospel for prodigals. Because they have nothing to stand on to be received back into the favor of the father. They have squandered everything and they smell like pigs. But grace opens the doors that works cannot. The father wants you and I to come not giving a speech of works but asking for grace. 
He doesn't want us to come and try and do things to make him happy so that he may make us sons. He has already made us sons in his son, Jesus Christ. The father requires this from you and I to just come and say, Father, I have sinned against you. The Lord God said to Israel in Exodus 34, 20, But the firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. And if you will not redeem it, then you shall break his neck. Or the firstborn of your sons you shall redeem, and none shall appear before me empty-handed. None shall appear before him empty-handed. Now, is that teaching works? No. He is saying, none shall appear before him without a lamb to redeem them. None is going to appear before him without the righteousness of Christ. Because that's what the lamb was there for. To say, if you have to come before me, you have to bring a sacrifice that I accept. And the instruction is, if you don't break their neck. And we who are in Christ shall appear before him with the blood of his lamb. And so he said to the children of Israel before the Exodus, now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So do you see what is happening? It's God who sees the blood, not you. Because the blood was put on the door lentils. It was dark. It was so dark that Moses says you could feel the darkness. But God comes and says when he sees the blood in that darkness. You could not see it. It's only God who sees the blood of Christ that is on you. And he says, when I see that blood, I will pass over you. I will not judge you to condemn you. I will not break your neck. So if he sees the blood, it is well with you. He knows you are his son. The other son in the parable of the prodigal did not have the blood of the sacrifice. He did not have the blood that the father saw. Why? Because God does not look at our good works for salvation. He only wants to see the blood of his son. And that is salvation. And that is true sonship. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the true sonship, the spiritual sonship, the adoptive Sonship that you have given us because of election, because of the redemption that is in the blood of Christ. For before Christ, it doesn't matter how good we thought we were. It doesn't matter how much we thought we were keeping your commandments. That is not how sonship is transacted. That is not how salvation is given. Salvation is only given by your work of election. Election according to grace. Redemption through the blood of your son. And adoption. And the giving of your Holy Spirit. Sealing your people with the righteousness that is in Christ Jesus. But we pray that you cause us to come to you as those who were lost in a distant land. 
not as those who stayed at home, as those who thought who were good in themselves. Lord, I pray that you give us the blood of Christ to bring before you. For you said, none shall appear before you empty-handed. And we have nothing to bring to you, Lord, but the blood and righteousness of Christ. Give us, Lord, the best robes of Christ. Give us the righteousness of Christ, which is by faith. That is the only righteousness that we need. So, Lord, we thank you again for this gospel of grace. We thank you for your people. Pray for all those who shall listen. Lord, may you encourage them with understanding. Give them the understanding of how salvation and sonship is transacted in heavenly places. We pray and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.